0: Today on The Matt Wall Show, Senator Josh Hawley provokes mockery and jeers from the media for suggesting that there's an attack on masculinity in our culture, but he's completely correct, of course. In fact, the situation is even worse than he describes. Masculinity is in its death throes in the West, and if masculinity dies, the West will go down with it. We'll talk about why. Also, another day, another prosecution witness in the Kyle Rittenhouse case accidentally destroys the prosecution's case, and a new poll says that 70% of Americans are experiencing anxiety and depression because of climate change. Can that possibly be true? Plus, Snopes does a fact check on the claim that Joe Biden let one rip in front of a member of the royal family. In our daily cancellation, we'll discuss the Republican Party's embrace of sexual identity politics with the newly christened RNC Pride Coalition. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Well, as we engage in this ongoing culture war, you know, one of the best things you can do, one of the most effective things you can do uh, for the culture, but also as it happens, you know, just to make your life a lot easier is uh, become a customer of Charity Mobile. Charity Mobile is the pro-life phone company. They partner with you to automatically support the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice with 5% of your monthly plan price. And they've sent millions of dollars to charities so far um that's the charity part of it but it's also just a great service as i've discovered i've been a customer of charity mobile for i don't know two years now new activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping when you mention offer code walsh plus you get a free christmas gift with every phone from charity mobile while supplies last that's another thing that you're not going to find from the other uh, uh, mobile phone carriers i can tell you that charity mobile makes it easy to switch you can keep your existing phone number you may even be able to keep your existing phone as well But if you need a new phone, no problem. Charity Mobile has a variety of options from basic flip phones and low-cost smartphones to the latest 5G phones. Ask about their new flip phone with parental controls that allow you to disable mobile uh, data usage, text and picture picture messaging, and much more. Which which is great because if your kid is going to have a phone, there's no reason for them to have a smartphone with the internet on it. Uh, So I love that Charity Mobile is doing that. Switch to Charity Mobile and support the causes you care about. Call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com and mention offer code Walsh. So, as a general rule, if you say something and the media catches wind of it and reacts as though it's the dumbest, craziest, most asinine thing anyone has ever said in the whole history of the human race, then you can be pretty confident that you were right. Not only, not only right, but right in a very important way about a crucial topic that they are terrified to even acknowledge or talk about. Republican Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri has provoked this kind of over the top, overcompensating reaction after delivering a speech at the National Conservative Conference a few days ago about the attack on manhood. ...and masculinity in our culture. Then he discussed the same subject in an Axios interview yesterday, which we'll play in a minute. And between the speech and the interview, he has been widely mocked and derided by the left and the media. Attack on masculinity? What attack on masculinity? That's absurd, they declare. In an article on CNN.com, Gloria Borger called Holly's claim conspiratorial. It's a conspiracy theory. Rolling Stone called it bizarre. MSNBC said the whole idea of an attack on masculinity is hilarious and empty... Kevin McDermott in St. Louis today accused Holly of mansplaining. And yet the fact that a man would use the term mansplaining only proves the point that masculinity is in deep decline, at least when it comes to that particular guy. But I think it's, it's even the, the problem is more widespread than that. Even the guy interviewing Holly for Axios seems kind of flummoxed by the notion that the people who use phrases like toxic masculinity may also be waging an assault on masculinity, a thing which they think is toxic. Let's listen to some of that exchange.
1: What's a man to you? Paint a picture. What's a man? Well, a man is a father, a man is a husband, a man is somebody who takes responsibility. As conservatives, we've got to call men back to responsibility. We've got to say that spending your time not working, and we have more and more men who are not working, spending your time on video games, spending your time watching porn online while doing nothing, is not good for you, your family, or this country. So a viewer's watching this,
2: and they're thinking, really, what the liberals are doing are going to push me to watch Pornhub more or play Donkey Kong more? Do you mean that literally?"
1: Well, what I mean literally is that I think the liberal attack, the left-wing attack on manhood says to men, you're part of the problem. It says that your, your masculinity is inherently problematic. It's inherently oppressive. What's your
2: basis for linking that to what liberals or the left, as you would say, do? Is that based on data or based on a hunch?
1: Well, it's policy over many years. I mean, if you look at the policy of deindustrialization, those are policy choices Mike pursued over many years. I've looked wait, at- wait, how does that connect to porn? Oh, well, you've got, you've got men, 16 million men, Mike, who are idle, who don't have anything to do. Now, partly that's their own responsibility, but also partly it's because jobs have dried up in many cities across America and rural areas, too. I think you put together lack of jobs. You put together fatherlessness. You put together the social messages that we teach our kids in school. I think we've got to confront that and its effects.
0: What's a man? Well, he's not someone who wears those kinds of socks that that guy's wearing. Um, Holly is, of course, right about everything he said. And he could go, he could have gone much further if the other guy didn't cut him off every four seconds. There is indeed much more to be said. And I think we could break this subject down into three parts, three questions. How do we know that masculinity is declining? Why is it declining? And why is it a problem that it's declining? So I'm going to try to answer all three in just a few minutes, though this will be far from a comprehensive treatment, but we'll go through this first. How do we know that masculinity is declining? Well, simply because every single relevant societal marker is pointing in that direction. I mean, every single one. record numbers of men are not working, as Holly uh, alludes to, not fulfilling the masculine role of provider, even if they just be providing for themselves. And a great many of them would be providing only for themselves if they provided at all, because record numbers of men have never married. Millions more were married, but no longer are or else they had just they you know they they had kids but never got married leading to a growing crisis of fatherless homes in the education system boys are falling behind girls get better grades more girls end up going to college now that going to college is actually a good idea in most cases but that's the way it leads boys are far more likely to drop out to be expelled to be suspended they're also far more likely to be judged so incorrigible and uncontrollable that they have to be put on psychotropic psychotropic drugs Out in the world, away from the confines of the education system, men are experiencing epidemics of drug abuse and homelessness, violent crime is surging, and men are most likely to be both the perpetrator and the victim when it comes to violent crime. As Holly indicates, men are increasingly retreating into cyberspace, replacing physical reality with a virtual reality. Americans spend collectively billions of hours, billions, watching porn, and men account for most of that, but certainly not all. The average gamer spends a little over eight hours a week playing video games, which may not sound like much. I mean it's an hour a day or so. but that's an entire extra work day spent playing with a toy. And that's the average, okay, which means that a large portion are playing much more than that, two times three times four times that amount. In a recent survey, a third of respondents said that they skip showering, they skip socializing. They skip eating so so that they can play more video games. Many gamers, you know, complain that video games are unfairly maligned in these kinds of conversations, and they're probably right that an hour a day spent playing video games is not much different from an hour spent, you know, watching TV or scrolling social media. The fact is that most of us are spending way too much time on all of that. And it's not like gamers are only playing video games and not using the internet or watching TV. They've just added an additional chunk of screen time. Still as a pound for pound comparison, An hour spent staring at Netflix is no better or more worthwhile than an hour on games. That's that's true. I would agree with that. The difference, though, is that games are more immersive. Um, They're able to take the place of physical reality in a much more convincing and seemingly complete way, which means that they have a greater tendency to dominate your life. Not every gamer is dominated by games, but many are. They eat, sleep, and breathe games. They've all but dropped out of society in favor of games. That's where it becomes dangerous. Games are not the only culprit, though. In general, modern Western men are obsessed with toys of various kinds and recreation. We are much, much less likely than our grandfathers to develop actual useful physical skills or even hobbies that involve doing physical things out in the physical universe, Someone said to me yesterday, they said, uh, well, what's the difference between playing video games all day or going fishing? Well, I don't think you should be playing video games or fishing all day. You should be doing, you should be working and providing for your family. But can you really not see a difference? In, in one case, you're out in nature. You're, you're, exp- you're breathing fresh air. You're outside. You're, you're, you know, you're developing a, a survival skill. Um, you're doing something that people have been doing, a skill that people have been utilizing since ancient times. I mean, th- there's clearly a difference between those two things. Whether it's video games or TV or watching sports or obsessing over children's comic books and cartoons, men have become softer, more frivolous, more useless. Women have their own corresponding problems that are often just as severe, yet not exactly the same. That's a different subject, though, as women are different from men. Right now, what we're establishing, what we need to establish, is that men are, in fact, in crisis. And if men are in crisis, then masculinity is in crisis. Because masculinity, by definition, relates to the qualities and attributes that are characteristic of men. Now, why is this happening? Another complex question that requires a longer answer than I can provide. But in brief, we know for one thing, that there's been a dramatic decline in testosterone levels among men over the last several decades. This is a documented fact, and the decline is incredibly extreme. I mean, something like 1% reduction per year on average in testosterone. So, if you look around today and you see a striking number of soft, feminine, girly sorts of men, that's not your imagination. That's a very real biological phenomenon, which is, uh, which is, which is, you know, that's driving this. The drop in testosterone probably has something to do with environment. Probably has something to do with diet. It's also a self-perpetuating thing. Men with less testosterone are less inclined to go out and exercise and compete. You know, do competitive sorts of games. But a lack of exercise is one of the things that can cause lower testosterone. Obesity is associated with testosterone deficiency as well. But it's not all biological. Boys from a young age enter into a society where masculinity and masculine impulses are actively discouraged and punished. Most boys will be in the government school system starting from the age of four or younger. I mean, Joe Biden wants kids there starting when they're like two. And that is a system... The government education system is a system run by women and designed for girls. There is no time or space or patience for boys with aggression and energy. In other words, boys who act like boys are not welcome in the system. Those traits are not just discouraged, but they're treated as diseased, as symptoms of mental illness. Girls are a lot better at sitting still, memorizing things, being calm. You know, you can sit them down at a desk. And give them an activity, and they can sit and do that for hours potentially. Boys are much less likely to have that ability naturally, which is why the school system will look at a boy that you know struggles to sit there and sit still and do boring things, and say he's diseased, but, get, but stuff some drugs in his mouth. Boys who will not be broken will eventually be drugged. Their boyhood is literally medicated out of existence. Sometimes this can take on a very direct and extreme form as our culture, the school system, and many families encourage boys to dress as girls and quite literally become girls or try to become girls anyway. This is a process helped along or really driven in the home. Many boys not only go to schools run by women and designed for girls, but they live in homes run by women and designed for girls. Either they have no father in the home or the father father is a physical presence yet an empty shell. A cuckolded eunuch who allows his wife to lead the family while he goes off to watch porn and play with his toys. This is the environment many boys find themselves in, and there will be no relief as they grow older and enter into an adult world that is just as hostile, if not more, to masculinity than the school system and his homework. So all of this, or rather you add all of this to the overarching societal pressure both men and women constantly feel to experience life as passive consumers and viewers. And we begin to see quite clearly how we end up with a society overrun by passive, weak, emasculated, effeminate men. But is this a problem? I mean, do we actually need manly men? Yeah, we do. No society in history has ever thrived absent of masculinity. None. Now, granted, none were ever crazy enough to try. We are in many ways attempting to blaze a new trail here, but it will not lead to anywhere or anything but ruin. What what role has masculinity traditionally played in society? Well, men have been the fighters. They've been the hunters, the builders, the protectors, the providers. Men have also traditionally led in fields like science and math. The great majority of technological advancements and discoveries have been made by men. That's a fact, and it's not a coincidence, nor is it the result of women being excluded in anything. The thing about a, you know, about a pioneer, a genius, you know, someone who discovers things and changes the course of civilization, you can't exclude them. They, they are going to have their influence on the world. So the fact that when it comes to math and science, it's mostly been men, that's because men are more inclined in that direction. Men have been the pioneers in multiple senses of the word. Men are especially suited for these various roles because they're typically stronger. They're typically more competitive and they're more analytical, which is where the math and science comes in. Men are also bigger risk takers. See, women are more emotionally intelligent. They have much greater empathy, while men tend to think more systematically and they tend to care less about how people feel. I'm not just making this up, by the way. I mean, this is the experience of every single human on Earth. We all know this inherently because we live in human society. But they've also done studies on this subject. And these are always the results. In fact, I was just reading an article in The Telegraph about uh, the largest study ever conducted on this subject. About the differences in the way men and women think. It was a University of Cambridge study of well over half a million people, which is an enormous sample size. And it found exactly this. Should be no surprise. In the study, women are empathetic. Women are more empathetic. Men are more logical. doesn't mean that men have no empathy. Hopefully, they're not psychopaths. And it doesn't mean that women have no logic. They're not insane. But women tend more towards empathy. Men tend more towards being logical. Now, other scientists condemned that study when it came out. Even though it was, again, the the, the biggest study of its kind. Very thorough. But other scientists condemned it. And they said it's, it's neurosexism. But that only proves the point I'm making here. It is a womanly feminine approach to get upset about the results of a study because it might hurt people's feelings. Now, we certainly need people in society who care about feelings, but we also need the manly input, which says, well, to to hell with how they feel. This is the truth. This is what we lose when we lose masculinity. We largely lose not only the benefits of physical strength, but also the voice of a more detached, somewhat cold logic and reason. A healthy society values both the feminine and the masculine, and it finds a place for both. Yes, a role for both. A a gender role, if you like. An unhealthy society like ours thinks that it can shove one half of that equation out the door and lock the deadbolt and leave masculinity out in the cold. But it can't work society needs masculinity it needs men they won't function without it certainly won't thrive without it and that's a lesson that i think we're going to learn the hard way now let's get to our five headlines Now, thank God, I have another chance to talk about uh, what you know is my favorite subject, and that is um, home financing. You know, look, the home you're living in right now can cost you less, it's true. You can lower your payment and save thousands long-term. You just have to refinance to one of these incredibly low mortgage rates and do it now before they're gone. I mean, if they're expected to rise in the new year, you can't afford to miss out. It takes just a 10-minute call to American Financing America's Home for Home Loans. You'll work with a salary-based mortgage consultant, somebody who will guide you through custom loan options that can save you up to $1,000 a month. Uh, That's right, $1,000 a month is what you could save. And you don't have to reset your loan to get these kinds of savings either. You can choose any term 10 years and over because you shouldn't pay interest for years when you don't need it. You can pre-qualify for free at 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711. One more time, 866-569-4711. Or you can visit Americanfinancing.net. And you want to make sure you go there right now and take advantage of these deals uh, because they're going to run out. Again, visit AmericanFinancing.net. All right, uh, I'm, I'm uh, trying to forge through here. I know it's, it's trite and boring to complain about daylight savings time, but I can't help it because it causes very real suffering in my life. As soon as that clock moves back an hour and everybody's bragging about how, oh, we get an extra hour of sleep. All that means for us is that our kids are up at 5 a.m. now instead of 6 a.m. So this morning, I heard the boys at 5.30 in the morning um, wrestling at 5.30 in the morning. I don't even want to look at another human being until about 11 a.m. And even then, I still don't want to look at another human being. These kids, they wake up every morning. Every morning, they wake up and they're either singing like it's a, a, you know, a karaoke night at the bar or they're beating the hell out of each other. Sometimes out of anger, sometimes out of joy. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the two. Um, they slept past 6.15, I think, one time in their lives, but I, uh, I ruined it because I, I realized that it was like, it's already dawn and we haven't heard the kids yet. They haven't woken up the whole house yet. And so I thought they must be dead or something, and I ran in there. And uh, then I woke them up and I ruined it. Um, anyway, that's not really what I, what, I, what it was, what, I, what did I want to complain about? I want to complain about daily savings times, right? The thing that gets me about this is the only reason we go through this is that a German guy 100 years ago wanted more time to look at bugs. I mean, that's the reason daylight savings time exists. That's the origin. It's not for the farmers, okay? You still hear people who say, uh, well, we have daylight savings for the farmers. What? How would that help? How, how do you think daylight savings time helps the farmers? Daylight savings doesn't actually adjust the orbit or the rotation of the Earth, it doesn't affect the sun. Okay, so there's, there's going to be the same amount of sun as there was before. The crops don't care what time it is. No, but this um, this guy, this German freak, this bug bug watcher, he he knew what time it was, and it did affect him. And um, he just thought it'd be easier for him and his schedule and everything, and when he wants to eat dinner and all that stuff, if if they if we could if we could move the, the clock ahead an hour, and so he suggested it to the world, and the world was like, eh, okay. And we've been stuck with it ever since because of that. In many ways, this guy was the first trans. You know, he was like a pioneer. He said we should all self-identify as time travelers and move ahead an hour. And we did. And we still do. For no reason now. No one can explain why. I mean, that guy's dead and gone. He's looked at all the bugs he wanted to look at. It was very nice of us as a world to accommodate him in that way. But we're still doing it. And no one knows why. Did he even accomplish? I mean, did he like use that extra time to discover a new species of centipede or something? I I don't know. I think he just wasted it. All right, um, let's start with this. Kyle Rittenhouse. The Kyle Rittenhouse trial uh, is uh, is continuing, and the theme here every day we've got another video. We've got and we'll, we'll we'll play one today as well, of a prosecution witness totally destroying and undermining the prosecution's case, and so we have another such case today. Um, this is Gage Grosskreutz, I think is how you pronounce his name. He was uh, one of the guys who was shot. He, he was, there are there three people shot by, um, by Kyle Rittenhouse, all three of them attacking him. And so he shot three people in self-defense. And this guy was fortunate enough to survive it, which is why the media, if you look at the media headlines, they're referring to this guy who you're just, you're, you're, we're going to see in a second. They're referring to him as the lone survivor of the Kyle Rittenhouse shooting. That's not, not a misleading or biased way of putting it, is it? Um, but he's a left-wing militant, and by all accounts and all appearances, an all-around scumbag. Um, and here he is admitting that, and it, it, it takes him a little while to get there, but eventually he admits that he pointed his gun at Kyle Rittenhouse. He had a loaded gun, and he pointed it at Kyle Rittenhouse, and that's when Kyle pulled the trigger. Let's listen.
1: It wasn't until you pointed your gun at him, advanced on him, with your gun, now your hands down, pointed at him, that he fired, right? Correct.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> so he had a loaded gun, and there's that, that exchange actually goes on for a couple of minutes, and and uh, he, he tries to kind of perjure himself. And at first he says, when he's asked the same question, well, Kyle Rittenhouse didn't fire until he pointed a gun. He says, he says, oh, that's not true. And then they keep going through it. And finally he says, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. And he has no choice but to admit it because once again, for the millionth time, this is all on video. So we know exactly what happened. And this man pointed a loaded gun at Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, clear-cut self-defense. This, again, is not simply a matter of uh, Kyle Rittenhouse is innocent. He should be acquitted. All of that is true. But the real point is that he never should have been charged with anything to begin with. There was never any evidence. See, in order to charge someone, I'm not a lawyer, but I know this, in order to charge somebody with a crime, there has to be some kind of evidence that they committed it. And then you bring, and then the prosecution brings that evidence. The state brings that evidence to a jury of your peers and tries to prove its case. But there's no evidence here at all. None. All of the evidence that's available, and there's a substantial amount of evidence available, but all of it is exculpatory. All all of it exonerates uh, the defendant, who never should have been a defendant. But what is he, what's he really on trial for? Um, as we know, Rittenhouse is on trial for being a non-leftist white male. That's why he's on trial. That's that's that is the real. He did commit a crime. Kyle Rittenhouse committed a crime, and the crime he committed, he committed it at birth, when he was born to white parents as a, as a man, as a boy. That's that's the real crime here. Which is, we hear about, uh, the left talks about dog whistles all the time, constantly accusing everyone of dog whistling. I don't think they really know what they mean when they use the term anymore. Of course, no words have have any objective meaning when it comes, as far as these people are concerned. But talk about dog whistles. When you had high-ranking Democrats, to include the the now President of the United States, calling Kyle Rittenhouse immediately after this happened, after the shooting happened, Uh, Joe Biden, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, all the squad, I mean, everything, the media, the left, they all labeled him a white supremacist. There was never any evidence of that whatsoever. None. No indication of that. Um, He didn't and he didn't even none of the people that he shot in self-defense were black. Even if he had, it wouldn't make him a white supremacist. But this was a this was white on white violence the whole time. No reason to call him a white supremacist, but that's a that's a, a dog whistle. What they really just mean to say is that he's white. So when they say, oh, he needs to be arrested and charged and uh, he needs to rot in a, in a cage because he's a violent white supremacist, that's a dog whistle. And what it really means is he needs to rot in a cage because he's a white male. Take the supremacist part of, out of it. Anytime you hear the left say white supremacist, just remove su- supremacist in your mind um, and then continue on with what they're saying. And that's what they really mean. All right. What else we got here? You know, speaking of white supremacy, speaking of non-existent white supremacy, did you know that there, uh, the highways, there's also racism, there's white supremacy literally built into the roadways. And Pete Buttigieg, who is back from paternity leave finally after about three months, has decided to um, has just woke up one day and decided, you know, maybe I'll go to work. And um, looking at everything that's happening in the in the, you know, a country a country in crisis on so many levels, what he's worried about is the racism built into the roadways. Let's listen to this.
1: Can you give us?
0: the construct of how you will deconstruct the racism that was built into the roadways that you talked to the GRIO earlier when you broke that information with us. Can you talk to us about how that could be deconstructed?
2: For sure, yeah. So the principle of Justice 40 is that at least 40% of the clean Investments in this bill will go to benefit the communities that are overburned and, overburdened and, and underserved. So part one of that is defining those, those investments that are eligible, and that's a lot of it. And we're working to map out kind of program by program, mode by mode, uh, what would qualify. For example, if we're uh, buying clean buses, right? How do we make sure in terms of where those buses go, But also looking at the business opportunity, the jobs that are going to be created, the businesses that that, uh, will have a chance to compete uh, for, for the business opportunities it creates. That too I think is a very important element of equity here that's in the spirit of Justice 40. And again, we have a lot of guidance and oversight from the White House since that's an administration wide initiative. But we know that we've got to build our own internal Uh, kind of ways of of, uh, aligning and defining that inside the administration. As to where we target those those dollars, you know, I'm still surprised that some people were surprised when I pointed to the fact that uh, if a highway was built for the purpose of dividing a white and a black neighborhood, or if an underpass was constructed such that a bus carrying mostly black and Puerto Rican kids uh, to a beach or there would have been uh, in New York was was designed uh, too low for it to pass by. that that obviously reflects racism that went into those design choices. Yes.
0: Yeah, so how are we going to de? What did you say? Deconstruct the construct. How will we deconstruct the construct? That's a dog whistle. Also, that's a dog whistle for I'm a pretentious bore with nothing to say. Deconstruct the construct. This is what we're worried about, though, is uh, race—is that the highways themselves are racist, and so now we need a very literal sort of reparations, tearing down bridges, rebuilding highways to uh, heal the racial wounds of the past. You know, also, I also think you, know, you could argue that the fact that um, highways are paved in—you um, know—you have black pavement on the highways. I think that's also probably racist. What message does that send? Every single day, you as a, as a white person, you are driving on a black pavement, sending a message, I suppose, that black people are uh, beneath you. So I, I think we should probably repave all the roads, paint them, uh, paint them, I don't know, paint them white. Might be a little bit the glare might be a little bit tough, but we should try that. We could paint them rainbow colors. They're actually they actually are doing that in some uh, in some cities, especially in Canada. But then again, that 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 sends the wrong message. Then you're trampling on uh, on gay pride. You don't want to do that. So I think we I think we pave all the the roads white. Put white put put the color white beneath the tread of our tires where it belongs. Um, what else we got here? Uh, this is a terrible. Terrible story, a, a, a terrible update to a terrible story, uh, a story that just gets worse and worse um, in the days the days following this tragedy. It says this is from the Daily Beast. Now it says a nine year old who was crushed and trampled at Travis Scott's Astro World Festival on Friday is fighting for his life in the hospital. Um, Ezra Blount, who uh, attended the festival with his father, suffered major organ damage and was in medically induced coma. Uh, As of Monday, according to ABC 13, a woman identifying herself as uh, Blunt's auntie wrote on Instagram the child had damage and trauma to his liver, his kidneys, brain, heart, and lungs. Um, It says that the child's father placed him on his shoulders to keep him above the chaos. The father was crushed and passed out, and then the child fell. He got trampled, and now he's hanging on for, for dear life. Uh, so these, this is why I said yesterday, this, we have to keep in mind, first of all, the, the eight people that killed, that's the, that's the body count. That's the, the death toll right now. It could, it could tragically climb. And these are mostly kids. And I said that thinking these are probably, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds. Uh, I, I didn't imagine a nine-year-old. And it does raise the question, you know, of what, what in God's name was a nine-year-old? doing at at this kind of music festival. With Travis Scott, I mean, this isn't um, like the Wiggles or Raffi in concert or something. This isn't uh, Veggie Tales. Uh, This is Travis Scott's music. I'm, I'm not really a Travis Scott fan. I don't pretend to be an expert in his music. But having just listened very briefly to get a taste of it, it's exactly what I expected. Degenerate, disgusting filth. All of the music is about mostly just about doing drugs violence I mean all that kind of stuff that's all the music and there's a there's a young child there you know you got to put you, you obviously have to put responsibility on the parents I mean bringing your kid to to an event like this is it's inexcusable but also this goes to the to the organizers the people running the event how is there not an age limit? How do you let a nine-year-old if there's a parent reckless enough to try to bring a nine-year-old into an event like that, how are they not turned away at the door? So we're so concerned about the health and safety of nine-year-olds that uh, when they go to school, they got to wear masks for COVID-19. But we're going to let them into a rap to a to a rap festival with fifty thousand people in the middle of a of a you know giant fifty thousand person mosh pit. Listening to music, promoting drugs and violence and sex and everything else. So w- one thing in our society, and this is one of the this is one of the many tragic consequences of it, is that our culture just has no respect for or understanding of um, childhood and the innocence of childhood, and what sort of content is appropriate for kids. There are many parents like this, and fortunately, most of the time, it doesn't have the immediate violent, tragic uh, consequences that we find in this case. But you run into a great many parents who just have, they have kids, but they have no clue, no concept of what children are psychologically or physically prepared to handle. I mean, there are there are plenty of parents out there at nine years old, 10 years old. You know, As I've railed against many times, they give their kid a phone with full internet access and say, oh, yeah, go go, go, uh, go, just spend two hours on YouTube. I'm sure there's nothing there that's not appropriate for you. Meanwhile, I don't know, 95% of it is not appropriate for kids that age. Many parents just have no understanding of this at all, um, of what is appropriate for kids, what, what it means to be a child um, how you know how to protect a child's innocence or, or why they should protect it to begin with. And this is a problem that goes back through the generations. And many times it's because their parents weren't focused on that kind of thing. I mean, many of these kids, many of these parents now, when they were kids, they came home from public school to empty homes because both parents were working or it was a single uh, parent home or whatever. And they had no kind of parental guidance at all. And, uh, and so they... Just In order to know how to be a parent, as as a child, that's that's when you learn a lot of lessons about what it means to be a parent that you will take with you. Even if you don't realize it, you're going to take it with you into adulthood. This is not any great insight, right? You learn parenting from your own parents and you take cues from them. A lot of parents today with kids basically were not parented. And so they have no idea. Um, I, th- there, need to be, there need to be criminal charges uh, in this case all over the place. I think Travis Scott should be among the ones who faces crim- who face criminal charges. All right. What else we got here? I wanted to mention this. This is from uh, yaf.org. It says a Catholic university in Missouri is investigating a conservative student group For refusing to bow to the anti-science left, according to a tip received through YAF's Campus Bias tip line, the uh, St. Louis University College Republicans received a letter from the school's Office of Student Responsibility and Community Standards informing them of an investigation into a video posted on the organization's Instagram page. Um, It says that, uh, uh, basically saying the video is harmful and it's a violation of the handbook. The College Republicans used a famous line from Daily Wire host Matt Walsh asking the liberal, liberal students to define what a woman is. The video, which racked up nearly a thousand views, poked fun at the leftist group SLU Sluts. That's the group. That's what they call themselves, SLU Sluts, um, who argued that not all women have a uterus and not all people with uteruses are women. So, um, and this, by the way, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Let me see here. Yeah, okay. So this is supposedly a Catholic university. Um, And I bring this up because, so the... Conservatives on campus asking this question that I that I have asked so many times: What is a woman? Uh, they're being investigated by the campus for that. The group SLU sluts. Uh, the, the sluts are not happy about it. The sluts are very upset. Again, self-professed sluts. That's that's what they call themselves. Um, I was and I am I'm going to be speaking at SLU on December first, and that's where this that's where a lot of this comes from. I was originally planning a different topic. But given how upset the sluts are and the campus is at the what is a woman question, now I know that when I speak on December 1st, that is going to be the entire topic of my, of my talk. So um, the co- conservatives on campus did a one-minute video with what is a woman. Uh, camp, the university didn't like that. So now I'm going to give you a 45-minute speech on it, on just that topic. And so if you're anywhere in town or if you, if you go to SLU, make sure you're there on December 1st. All right, what else do we have? Howard Stern is very upset at um, Aaron Rodgers because he didn't get vaccinated. As we continue with this uh, controversy over the fact that, you know, an NFL player decided, you know, made decisions for his own body, decided he didn't want to get vaccinated. Howard Stern, very upset about it. Let's listen to uh, Stern for a minute.
2: I was so worked up over the weekend about this In uh, Aaron Rodgers of the NFL. I don't even know where to begin with that story. I mean, this f***ing guy, I don't watch football. Sorry, I'm not a big fan. I know the guy's a real good football player. That's why they put up with his bullshit. If I ran the NFL... He's
0: going to be a Hall of Famer. So, yeah, you know that he's important to the franchise.
2: If I was the, uh, you know, if there was decency in this world, you know, I would throw this guy out of the football league so fast, what he did to his fellow teammates. And, you know, bravo, Terry Bradshaw, for what you said, and everyone else who's got half a brain in this country. But this f-ing guy, they should throw him out of the league so fast with the guy who crashed
0: his car at 153 okay. right, miles up, an hour. and some poor uh, lady it's Howard Stern is worried about decency. If we had any decent, Howard Stern is concerned about decency. But this is the new improved Howard Stern. Like I, I, was, I was never a big Howard Stern fan. But obviously, at least back in the day, in the 90s, you know, he was on, his, his whole career was defined by a crusade against political correctness. And you just have to imagine that the, the Howard Stern of 1993, let's say, or how about the, the Howard Stern of 1991, looking 30 years into the future, at the Howard Stern of 2021, how, how, would, that, how would the 91 Stern feel about the, 21, the 2021 Stern? I mean, he would hate that guy, and for good reason. This is why, you know, Howard Stern is what? He's like 85 years old now. At a certain point, you just got to pack it in, go, go to your mansion with all of your many millions and enjoy the rest of your life. Whatever, whatever legacy he had has been totally destroyed. This is what he's become now. Now, he's a, now Howard Stern is a, a defender of the status quo. Howard Stern is crying about the indecency of football players because he didn't get a vaccine. What he did to his teammates, what did he do to his teammates exactly? What are you talking about? What, what, explain that a little bit more. Well, he doesn't explain it. I mean, I cut him off, but all he does, he just continues. That This is his whole argument. Ah, oh, this effing guy didn't get the vaccine. I mean, come on, this effing guy. That's his whole argument. Very eloquent. Um, of course, he's, you know, now Howard Stern is a new, improved, decent Howard Stern, but he also can't say more than four words without dropping an F-bomb. So that's, you know, that's his version of decency. I don't know. But I'd like, to hear, I'd like to hear some kind of argument. What exactly did Aaron Rodgers do to his teammates? I mean, how did he harm anybody? These are all people who, for them, COVID poses almost no risk at all already because they're young men, very physically fit, and they're vaccinated. So what harm did he do? That can't be explained. All right, let's move to this. this, this really, we've be just been leading up to this. I think it's the most important story. Snopes has a fact check on the claim that Joe Biden farted while meeting with the Duchess of Cornwall and the verdict right now from Snopes. They did look into this and they say the verdict is unproven. So this is what they say. An anonymous source told the Daily Mail the U.S. President Biden farted during his meeting with the Duchess of Cornwall, despite headlines claiming that Camilla Parker Bowles can't stop talking about it. The Duchess has offered no public comments on the matter. It should also be noted that this rumor started amid a series of unfounded claims regarding presidential farts. No other evidence has emerged about these alleged emissions. No other sources have acknowledged this possible piece of presidential flatulence. And while a number of news outlets have repeated the claim that the Duchess of Cornwall hasn't stopped talking about it, she has not made any public comments about Biden breaking wind. So, Snope says, we can't confirm or debunk whether Biden truly farted while meeting with the Duchess of Cornwall. We can say that the evidence for this uh, fart is scarce that it's based entirely on a single quote from an anonymous source and that it's made its way around the internet on the heels of several other false fart rumors. Now, uh, they have declared these other rumors. Uh, you know, they've declared them rumors and they've said that they're false, but we don't know that either. So there's a lot we don't know. And we've got to be honest about the situation. I think, I think when, when you're staring at a situation and, uh, and there's, there's, there's really no evidence one way or another, you've got to be honest about it. Did Joe Biden release exhaust from the tailpipe right in front of a member of the royal family? Did he do this only a week after dumping a load in his pants in front of the Pope? Um, These are questions we have no answer to. All we can do is we can look at patterns. All right. And there does seem to be an undeniable pattern wherein Joe Biden is being accused of, uh, of, of gastrological activity, shall we say, often in front of notable international figures. His colon seems to be especially aggressive in Europe in particular. Is there a connection there? Is this even part of some kind of national defense strategy? I don't know. Is Joe Biden being sent over to these other world powers to deploy something of kind of a skunk strategy, sort of emitting an odor as as, as a way to warn off predators on the national or the international stage? I don't know. I can't say. Nobody can say. I just wish that our media would start asking these kinds of questions. Um, if I were in the media, I would, but you know, they, they, they're not going they, they would ask Joe Biden about, uh, about what, what flavor ice cream he likes, but they won't ask about the flatulence potentially caused by that ice cream. All I can say for sure. This is one thing we know for sure. Let's just hope that Joe Biden and Eric, and, uh, and Eric Swalwell are never in the same room together all kinds of EPA regulations will be violated in a situation like that. So I think we could say that at least. All right, now let's move on to the comment section. Do you know their name?
1: They're the sweet baby gang.
0: Um, Frank says, growing up in the 90s to mosh pits with the likes of Slayer, Pantera, Anthrax, etc., there was an unspoken respect where you don't touch anyone not in the pit, as they are clearly not willing participants Seeing this happen at a hip-hop concert is not the least bit surprising. Yes, the um, the etiquette of, a, of the mosh pit. Yeah, that was a thing. But, but but with this concert, it sounds like, as I said, the whole crowd is one big mosh pit. Um, and, uh, and these things just have a, a, a domino effect. Once the panic sets in in the crowd and everybody's trapped in there, you see how uh, tragedy soon follows. Timey Shu says, Matt, in reference to Ashley Biden's diary, is it normal for an adult to shower with a child? If so, at what age does that have to stop? Um, yeah, there, there are some more allegations, quite a bit more serious than the fart allegations. Well, it, it shouldn't stop at all because it shouldn't start. No, it is not normal at all. Even a little. Not at all. No. Um, Elijah says there's only one video of Travis stopping the show once for like three seconds. Then he went right back to performing. Uh, Yeah, I did see that. So I've seen initially there were claims that Travis Scott stopped the performance multiple times to try to calm the crowd down. And uh, I've since seen one video where he stops it for, as you say, a couple of seconds and then goes right back into it. There are also videos of him on the stage while people are collapsing in cardiac arrest. And he seems to be looking right at them while still singing in his garbage auto-tune voice. Um, Jonathan Swank says, Matt, tomorrow you should cancel equity. Yeah. um, Yeah, you know, the the right, this is is a line that, and and sure, I'll cancel equity. Uh, Equity and equality, they're kind of, but but this is a line that the right tries to draw a lot. Well, they'll say, well, we don't want equity, but we do want equality. That's, that's another false choice because really, as I explained yesterday, they're both bad. William says, Matt, you're wrong that equality is a woman's virtue. Men are more competitive indeed, but the attitude of best man wins is predicated on the idea that the competition is fair in the first place. Men champion equality of opportunity. Equality of outcome or equity is what women are more likely to champion. To want everyone to end up at the same place regardless of skill, ability, or attitude for no one to lose and feel bad about not being as good as somebody else, that is a womanly trait, but it is not equality, it is equity. Men want equality specifically so that the best man wins. Yeah, I know, again, here's, here's another kind of false choice that you find on the right, trying to thread this needle and saying, well, we don't want equality of outcome, we want equality of opportunity. But even that, I, I, equality of opportunity is also a fiction. I don't know exactly what you mean by that. You're, depending on where you live, Um, what your basic skills are, uh, how you were raised. I mean, all kinds of things are going to determine not only outcome, but they're also going to determine what sort of opportunities are presented to you. Okay. This is not, this is not a pitch for systemic racism because it's not about racism. It's just that everybody is unequal and they're an unequal situation. doesn't mean that one's superior to another. It's just that we all are in vastly different situations. And so to to even say that we have equality of opportunity, I think that is also a problem. To use the left's term here, it is problematic to talk about equality of opportunity. Because what are you going to do to make sure that every single person in the country has the exact same opportunities as every other person? That is just not a reality. It's not. I think we need to we need to recenter ourselves in reality. Now, um, does that mean that uh, we should be okay with um, people being foreclosed, opportunities being foreclosed from 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 for people? No. So I think what we should be talking about is maybe uh, you know freedom of opportunity. That's what we want. We want everyone to have the freedom to pursue whatever opportunities are, um, available to them or, you know, we want everyone to have that kind of freedom and that ability, but I don't think the opportunities are actually going to be equal. I think that's a, that's another fiction. That's a story that we tell ourselves. And, uh, I just don't think it's true. Hate to say there is. So like I said yesterday, the daily cancellation, equality is a fiction. Well, now your favorite time of the show, the Daily Wire promos. It's been a year since Joe Biden was elected president, and it's time to unpack everything the Democrats have screwed up since then and the pushback that's now happening. Tune in tomorrow to catch an all-new episode of Backstage where we discuss the turning of the tide. We're keeping it broad. I like that. What's the, what subject are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the Dems screwing things up. For a change, you know, we're going to talk about that. Join me, Ben Shapiro, Jeremy Boring, Michael Knowles, and Andrew Claven tomorrow at 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 p.m. Central on Daily Wire and in our YouTube channel, Daily Wire. But wait, there's more. It's been nearly a week since the Daily Wire filed a lawsuit against the federal government. Our senile leader ordered the large employers require their employees to be vaccinated. As you know, we're not going to stand for that. We are fighting back against it, and uh, we need your help. And the number one thing you can do to help us is become a member. If you're not a member yet, please consider joining today. If you go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and enter code DO NOT COMPLY at checkout, you'll receive 25% off your membership, and you'll be fighting this unconstitutional mandate with us. We appreciate your help. We won't comply, and neither should you. The dailywire.com, again, that's dailywire.com slash subscribe, code DO NOT COMPLY for 25% off. And we have one more special treat. Now for some good news. Well, those Those were supposed to be good news also, so. Now for a third piece of good news. We're launching Daily Wire now, which means you'll be able to stream all of your favorite Daily Wire shows on Vizio SmartCast. Tune in to watch Candace discuss current events with guests ranging from Donald Trump to Dana White, or you can catch one of your favorite hosts. Uh, There's always something interesting to stream. Watch Daily Wire now exclusively on Vizio Watch free plus streaming app on channel 162 to access the content you love 24 hours a day, seven days a week, only on Vizio SmartCast. And wait, there's more. No, there isn't. That's it. Let's get to our daily cancellation. So today we cancel the Republican Party once again. It's canceled for this news, as reported by, the, uh, by CNS News. It says the Republican National Committee announced its partnership with the Log Cabin Republicans at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort this weekend, creating its first Pride Coalition, which will invest and mobilize LGBTQ communities ahead of the 2022 midterm elections, according to Fox News. The Spirit of Lincoln Gala, held at the uh, Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida, was hosted by the Log Cabin Republicans, an organization representing LGBTQ conservatives and their allies on Saturday night. As president, Trump referred to Mar-a-Lago as his winter White House. He and his wife, Melania Trump, were the guests of honor at Saturday's event. Now, I criticized the RNC Pride Coalition on Twitter and it upset a number of people. Uh, many of them Republicans, including Richard Grinnell, who's the the acting or was the the acting director of national intelligence under Trump and the first openly gay person to serve at a cabinet level position. Uh, He was at the event at Mar-a-Lago as well, and he received an award as well, I think. He took issue with my criticism, along with a number of other prominent Republicans, both gay and straight. Grinnell accused me of, among other things, being uh, he said I was from the Stone Age for having a problem with the RNC Pride Coalition. I take great exception to that. I am not from the Stone Age. It would be more accurate to say that I am from the Middle Ages. Though, frankly, I would prefer the Stone Age over the current age. I would take that in a heartbeat. Now, I have been repeatedly accused, not just because of this issue, but in general, of trying to exclude gay people from the conservative movement. That's not the case. What I want to exclude, what I say we must exclude if we want conservatism to mean anything at all, is gay pride. I do not think that there should be an LGBT pride coalition in the Republican Party, and I'll explain why. And let me note at the beginning that if we were back in the ancient times of not the Stone Ages or even the Middle Ages, but say five years ago, it would have been totally uncontroversial for me to suggest that gay pride doesn't belong in the conservative movement. But as we know, the Republican Party is on the same train as the Democrat Party, just a few cars behind. And as the whole, the whole locomotive speeds inexorably to the left, The Republican Party is never far behind. That's how a statement that would have been so self-evident as to be boring five years ago can suddenly be not only provocative but downright offensive today. So here's the problem with gay pride and why it doesn't belong in the conservative movement. It's hard to know even where to begin. I mean, you often have that problem when trying to explain things that should be obvious. So I'll stick with two points here, uh, starting with the most fundamental. Gay pride is an ideology. It's a philosophy. And as such like any ideology or philosophy, it has a history. And we can trace that history. And when you trace the history of gay pride, which isn't hard to do because that history goes back only a few decades, you find that it was from the beginning, has always been and is now an anti-family, anti-virtue, anti-Christian left-wing phenomenon. There's a reason why Harvey Milk, the child-raping pederast, is a gay pride hero. He may not be a hero of all gay people individually, but gay pride, again, is an ideology. And within that ideology, men like Harvey Milk are honored and celebrated. Gay pride parades are fully in accordance with the gay pride philosophy. And that is why they are hedonistic, self-indulgent, self-worshipping, hypersexualized spectacles of decadence and debauchery. It's not a coincidence or a matter of happenstance that gay pride parades and festivals take on this character. That's what gay pride, the ideology, is all about and has always been about. Why is that? Well, because gay pride revolves around, really it invented, we should say, sexual identity politics. According to gay pride ideology, according to sexual identity politics, the most important thing about a person, the number one defining trait is their sexual proclivity. A person is encouraged to find their identity, to locate themselves within this proclivity. That is not conservative. If that is conservative, then conservatism is totally indistinguishable from leftism. At best, it becomes a different side of the same coin, though I think it really would be the same side of the same coin. Or a coin where the two sides are so similar that it would be really hard to try and play heads or tails with them. Again, I emphasize, everything I've said here would have been considered insane up until about five years ago. Insane only because it's so obvious that it shouldn't need to be said. A segment on a conservative talk show explaining why gay pride isn't conservative would have been like a segment on the Weather Channel explaining why the rain makes you wet this just shows you how thoroughly, how cataclysmically the, the, the ground has shifted beneath our feet. And many people on the right have been moved all the way to the left without even noticing that they moved at all. This is what happens when you allow yourself to passively float on the tide of culture. You look up one day and you notice that you've drifted far from where you started, though you weren't trying to go anywhere at all. Right-wing gay pride is, as a concept, very similar to right-wing feminism. And there are indeed conservatives who, for years, have been trying to develop a conservative feminism. Oftentimes, they say that they want to reclaim the spirit of feminism in its original form, in its pure and Edenic state. Back in the mythic first wave period, when feminist pioneers were fighting for the good, you know, fighting the good fight and saying a lot of really conservative things like, uh, quote, the Bible and the church have been the greatest stumbling blocks in the way of women's emancipation. That was Elizabeth Stanton, godmother of feminism. Said that over 100 years ago, in the first wave, identifying the Bible and church as the enemies in the first wave of feminism. In fact, all of feminism's godmothers said stuff like that about religion, the family, men, marriage. Feminism, as it turns out, was, at the time, still is, anti-family, anti-Christian, anti-virtue, anti-man from its very inception. There is no pure form of it to return to. It is rotten to its core, like gay pride. Feminism is one of the worst things to ever happen to the human race. It is one of the greatest evils in history. It's killed 60 million babies, and that's just the start. And yet some conservatives still think it's possible to be a conservative feminist, not realizing that it's, 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 you know, it's, not, a, it's not a corruption of feminism in its original form. It is its culmination today's feminism is the culmination of the original feminism. A culmination, not a corruption. The same can be said when you see drag queen story hours or men in bondage gear marching down the street in front of children. That's not a corruption of gay pride. It is gay pride. That's what the ideology of LGBT pride stands for. And speaking of LGBT, what about about the T in that... um, In that initialism. I asked Grinnell this and he didn't answer. But it's a good question. Are we including the T in this conservative pride? Are we proud of transgenderism now too? Are we embracing gender theory? Perhaps looking for a pure conservative form of gender theory? What's next? Conservative critical race theory? Conservative Marxism? Conservative communism? Where does it end? Maybe we can come up with our own conservative Satanism. Dems are the real Satan-phobes. That's where it ends, really. It ends in confusion, impotence, the death of anything resembling conservatism. Unless we come to our senses and start drawing clear lines. And until we do that, I must say, the Republican Party is canceled. And so is gay pride. Gay pride is canceled, too, of course. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. (laughs) The show is edited by Allie Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart, And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021.
1: Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, Joe Biden tells American companies to follow his vaccine mandate, even though it's unconstitutional. The price of gas rises at the pump, but Joe Biden is shutting down another pipeline. And iconoclastic intellectuals open a new university. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.